Hey everybody, welcome home. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons. We're so glad to have you in the House of Faith today. I want to take you right now to a service that Sarah and I did just a few weeks ago together at Eagle Mountain International Church on the grounds of Kenneth Copeland Ministries, my family's ministry and church, and we're so honored to be a part of what God is doing out there. And I know you're going to be blessed by this message. We began it last week on the broadcast. So if you missed the first part of this message, all you need to do is go to pearsonsministries.com or download the Legacy Studios app, get caught up, and then be blessed by what God is saying to us in his word in these messages. You know, just a few weeks ago, we began on this revelation, looking at impossible situations and saying, with God, all things are possible. It can be done. Watch this and be blessed. Second Kings chapter six, verse eight, it says, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to this place, which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Can you see what's happening here? The enemy's making plans and the prophet without being in the room to hear the plans is in the room and hearing the plans. And he's going and telling the king of Israel, here's what's going to go down. Don't go there. Go over here. And the king of Syria is getting really frustrated by it. It says in verse 11, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. He called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he's in Dothan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded. Somebody say surrounded. They surrounded the city. And the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So get the picture. Elisha and his servant are in Dothan. They go to bed one night. Everything's fine. Wake up the next morning. His servant goes outside. And as soon as he looks outside, he realizes they're surrounded. They're surrounded. You know what surrounded means? No way out. There's no way out of this situation. Notice this in verse 16, Elisha answered and said, do not fear. Why? For those who are, somebody say it, with us. Who are you with? Who are you with? Because you're not getting in here unless your name's on this list or you're with somebody who is. Who are you with? He said, don't be afraid. There are more with us than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. Open his eyes. He said, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. That's the prayer that needed to be prayed. Open his eyes. And the Lord opened, his eye, opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the situation itself didn't need to change. What he saw needed to change. 
You know, in the ministry of Jesus, one of the defining miracles in his ministry that defined him and identified him as the Messiah was blind eyes being opened. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He said, he's anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And remember this one, recovery of sight to the blind. This is one of the things that identified Jesus as not just a prophet, not just a miracle worker, but as the Messiah, recovery of sight to the blind. So much so that John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to Jesus and said, look, just go find out. I'm tired of wondering. Ask him if he's the one. You remember this? Ask him. You go ask him if he's the one. He'll know what I mean. Or if we're supposed to be looking for another one. So his disciples came to Jesus and said, John sent us and we're supposed to ask you, are you the one or are we supposed to be looking for another one? It seems like Jesus could have made it easy for these guys and said, yeah, hello. Hey, it's me. He didn't. You know what he said? He said, you go back and tell John the blind see. He said, you go back and tell John the blind see the dead are raised. These are the defining miracles in the life and the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. There was a a day he was leaving town. Jesus was leaving town and somebody who they all referred to as blind Bartimaeus just became his name, became his identity. Blind Bartimaeus. People just called him blind like it was his first name. This is an identity problem. Don't you ever identify with your problems and make it a part of your identity and a part of your name. Don't ever do that. And he's, Jesus is walking out of town, out of town and blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was there. And what did he do? He started shouting out so loud, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, shut up, shut up, shut up. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he said it so much that Jesus stopped in his tracks and said, go get him and bring him here. And all those people shutting him up said, hey, be of good cheer. He wants to see you. (laughs) So they get him up and bring, who do we have now? Help me out. Who is this? Blind Bartimaeus. And they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at who? Blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? If I'm Bartimaeus, I'm thinking, they call me blind. What do you think I want you to do? No, listen to what he said. That I would receive my sight. That I would receive my sight. Can I tell you what's worse than natural blindness? Spiritual blindness. And Jesus came not just to open the eyes of the naturally blind, the physically blind, but even more so to open the eyes of our heart, to open our eyes spiritually. It is way more dangerous to walk through this life spiritually blind, fumbling around, stumbling around, not knowing where you're going, bumping into this problem and that one. 
This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter one. I pray that the eyes of your understanding, your heart would be flooded with light. First John, that you would walk in the light. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that when you encounter things that appear impossible and like there's nothing that can be done, don't start busting into some prayer right there for all these natural things to change. Just because it looks like you, ha- you need a lot of money, and maybe you do, that's fine, but don't start there in your prayer. Just because it looks like you need some healing in your body and you need it quick, quick that's fine, but don't start there in your prayer. When I saw that about Bartimaeus, the Lord spoke to me on the inside and he said, Jeremy, that should be your request as well. When I say, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, what do you think it is? Look at the building. Duh, I need, I need this money. Lord, what do, you, what do you think it is? You heard what the doctor said. What do you think I need, to do, I need you to do for me? That's not where you start. You start in the exact same place. I believe Bartimaeus' prayer is in there, not just for somebody physically blind, but for somebody who's having trouble seeing on the inside, who can't see a way out. I just, I just can't see what we're going to do about this. I just can't see a way out of this. You know what you need? Jesus says, what can I do for you? This is what you need to say, that I would receive my sight, Lord. That I would receive my sight. This has been my prayer, Sarah's prayer, for for days, weeks on end now. I want to see it the way you see it. I want to see, Lord, that I would receive my sight. And our confession has been the blessing of the Lord is on my eyes. The blessing of the Lord is on my ears. I see what I need to see. I hear what he's saying to me. I see things the way God sees them and it can be done. I don't know how, but I know who, and it can be done. Jeremy, what do you want me to do for you? That I would receive my sight, Lord. I want to see it the way you see it. I want to understand about it what you understand about it. And don't start with trying to change all the natural circumstances of it. That's, that's starting with the sight, the, the natural sight. That's living by natural sight. Start with the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I'll say this to you and be done. I believe there are two big areas that people are dealing with impossibilities on a real regular basis. One of those areas, I believe, is financially. We've already touched on it some. The the aim and the goal is not first and foremost more material, more financial, more money. That's not the aim. That's not the first goal. It never is. Your prayer life would reveal whether or not you believe that. What you're talking about all the time reveals whether or not you believe money's most valuable. There are a number of things, a a big list of things in the scriptures that tell you what's more valuable than money. I did an experiment not long ago in one of the churches we were recently in. I said, uh, a prosperous person is somebody who has a lot of, and I left that blank, and of course they all said money. I said, that's interesting. Why didn't you say peace? 
Because there's scripture that tells us peace is more valuable. Why didn't you say wisdom? Proverbs tells us that wisdom is more valuable than gold, than rubies. Why didn't you say any number of things? Because that's, it's a revelation to us what we believe is most valuable. And that's got to change. If we're ever going to prosper in God, we're going to have to see prosperity the way he sees prosperity and start addressing the things that are bigger to him. And what's big to him has to become big to us. And money is certainly a part of it, but man, I'm going to tell you, it is way down on that list. But yet people are facing these financial impossibilities all the time. And in the book of John chapter 6, it's a familiar account. Jesus is there with his disciples and he looks up and this huge crowd's coming towards him. The first thing he does is turn to Philip and say, where are we going to buy food to feed all these people? And Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough that each may have a little. You notice that's what religion tries to do. Just give everybody a little. But that was the first thing on his mind. These people are hungry. They've been out here a while. Let's just give them, give them a little just to sustain them till where they get wherever they're going. And he said 200 denarii worth, which by the way is eight months wages. That's a good little chunk of change that they had on hand. But he said, look, that's not even enough to buy them a little. He said, what do you do have? And Andrew came to him and said, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. This is an impossible situation, wouldn't you think? Trying to feed all these people. This looks impossible. Looks like it can't be done. He says, we've got five loaves and two fish. But he makes this statement. He said, what are they among so many? What are they among so many? What was he doing? He was taking what they had, five loaves, two fish, and he was comparing it to what they needed. And he was looking at what he had in the light of what he needed. And when you look at what you have in the light of what you need, what you have will look like nothing. Can you see that? And there's a problem with that. If you've got something that's not nothing, something is not nothing. Satan is a belittler. He's a minimizer. He's a diminisher. He does it to people and he does it through people. And one of the things you want to guard against is ever letting him do that through you. Never cause him or let him cause you to look at what you've got and call it nothing. It's not nothing. It's something. The problem is Andrew's standing there looking at what they've got, but he's looking at it compared to what they need. And when you compare what you have to what you need, what you have looks like nothing. On the flip side, it gets worse. If you compare what you need, if you look at what you need in the light of what you have, what you need looks like everything. But neither one of those are true. What you need is not everything. There's a limit to it. It's not everything and it's not overwhelming. Don't treat it like it is. What you have is not nothing. Don't treat it like it's nothing. Treat it like it's something. So what's the problem here? If, we're, if we can't look at what we have in the light of what we need, and we can't look at what we need in the light of what we have, what are we going to do? Change the light we're looking in. The big problem with looking at what you have and calling it nothing is you're not thankful for it. 
You call it nothing. You call it zero. You're not thankful for that. But what did Jesus say? Bring it to me. And the first thing the Bible tells us happened is Jesus took it. He gave thanks for it. Thank you, Lord. There's no record in that prayer of him saying anything about what he needed God to do with this. He just thanked him for what he had. This is how you get out of this. This is how you address an impossible financial situation. Look at what you've got. Don't call it nothing. Call it what it is. It's either a seed or it's a start. Maybe it's not enough to do everything you want to do, but is it enough to start? Some years ago, years ago, Sarah and I were living in the first house that, um, that we'd ever lived in. I, I had this house when she and I got married and I'd been leasing it. And uh, a few months after we got married, we bought it. We lived in it for several years. Several years later, the Lord instructed us, pay that house off. Okay, get out of debt. Well, we looked at the account and then we looked at what we owed and what we owed was still pretty much <laughs> the value of the home. And we certainly did not have that in the account, but we had something. And we said, we'll start on it. And we started putting a little extra on it and a little extra on it and a little extra. We took a chunk out of savings and we put it on the house. And it seemed like that was in January of that year. Over the next six months, extra just started coming in and coming in and coming in. And you know, in six months, we were halfway there. Halfway. And then all of a sudden, it sort of seemed to stop. I said, Lord, where's the, where's the extra? How am I going to pay this off? How am I going to do it? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then finally, I woke up and realized, I have let your instruction to me become burdensome and pressure on me. I cast the care of this onto you. And I told the Lord, I'm not bringing the house up with you again. You want to talk about it? Fine, but you're going to have to bring it up. I'm not saying another word about it. That was in September. First week of October, Sarah and I got two checks on the same day, totally unexpected, that totally paid off the rest Praise of the house. The now, we never would have done that if we had looked at the whole debt and then looked at what we had and said, there's no way. Now, something else occurred in there. There was one individual that we had loaned some money to months before the Lord ever told us to get out of debt. We found out what they were wanting to do. We loved the vision. We, we got excited about it. And we said, would you let us? They didn't even come ask us for it. We said, would you let us loan this to you? And just, just an individual, they prayed about it, said, yeah, and I'll pay you back. Sounds good. Well, then, the, then months later, the Lord says, pay off the house. I'm thinking, man, we could sure use that chunk <laughs> that we loaned out. But instead of going to that person saying, hey, I really need you to pay me, we found where Jesus said, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we went to him and said, you owe us nothing. And it was a little chunk. It was a little chunk, especially for where, where we were at in our life that time. You owe us nothing. Totally forgave it. And just a matter of weeks, that debt was gone. So what we had was not nothing. It was a seed and it was a start. What you have is not nothing. It's something. Don't look at it and call it nothing. Be thankful for it and ask the Lord, is this something I'm supposed to sow or is this something you want me just to put on the start by faith to start hacking away at it? This is how you go from an impossible financial situation to it can be done. 
And then in the other area, I've kept you a long time, but I want you to hear this. In the other area that I believe people are facing impossibilities on a daily basis is in their physical body. Like I said at the beginning of the service, even in the midst of a, uh, a culture where science and medicine are making breakthroughs every day, still people are being told, you don't have time. We went through a situation like this not long ago in our family. On New Year's Eve, going into 2016, our family got a text from Sarah's mom and dad who had been to the doctor for a checkup. She had been diagnosed with cancer some years before that. The Lord led them to the right people. It was wonderful. Surgery, got it all removed. No chemotherapy, no radiation. Went back for a checkup and they told her, on New Year's Eve going into 2016, it's back. It's in your bones. We can't operate. You've got 10 months. 10 months. And so we just began to seek the Lord as a family. First days of 2016, just got with him on this. How do you get with him? Get into his presence. Begin to pray. Begin to praise begin to worship. And it was in that time that he began to speak to us and gave us instruction. The first thing he said is when you need something, what do you do in the house of faith? When you need something, you sow something. And here's what we needed. We needed more time. We needed more time. So when you, if every seed reproduces after its own kind and you need time, what should you sow? Time. So as a family, we decided and went before the Lord, we're going to tithe our day back to you. At least two hours every day spent in your word and in worship and in praise, giving thanks for what you're doing in our lives. And she got the wisdom of God, got connected to the right people. And all along that time, we're pressing into the things of God, pressing into the word. I've never seen somebody press into the word of God like I saw Mary Hart, Sarah's mom, press in, her dad, press in to the presence, press in to the word of God. They're literally being told there's nothing more that can be done. That's an incorrect statement. If somebody is telling you there's nothing more that can be done, they should be honest and say, there's nothing more I can do. That's what they were told. But man, we pressed into God, pressed into his presence and used little things all along the way to get excited. Here we are months into this diagnosis and the clock's ticking and little Justice, who was probably six years old at the time, said to his Nene, he calls her, Nene, how old will you be at my wedding? Now I'm telling you, there was opportunity right there to break down and say, oh baby, we don't know if Nene's going to be at your wedding. That's a long time from now. We don't know if she's going to be here. But you know what we did? We said, Justice, that's it. That's it. Yes, Nene's going to be at your wedding, boy. And she's going to be old, 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 old. She's going to have all this gray hair. She's going to be old walking into your wedding. Oh, she's going to be old, old, old. And we got excited about Nene getting old. This is how you take an impossible thing and look at it and say, it can be done. It can be done. 10 months after she'd been given that death sentence, she got a letter from one of the most renowned cancer specialists in the nation that said, there is no measurable disease in your body. You're here. 
And, and today, they're traveling in the world, giving that testimony, preaching to people. You know what they're telling them? It can be done. It can be done. When somebody tells you it can't, you look at it, and with the blessing of the Lord on your eyes, you say, no, it can be done. It takes a blessing for you to see what nobody else can see. That's the blessing of the Lord on you. That's his blessing on your eyes, and you ought to say it out loud right now. Blessed are my eyes, for they see. Blessed are my ears, for they hear. My eyes are blessed. My ears are blessed. I see the way the Lord sees. I hear what the Lord would say. I'm with him. I'm with him. And bless God, he's with me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit PearsonsMinistries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.